Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. wanted to do a little bit of introduction before we move directly to the text today so that we set the context of the text. We're going to be looking in this series of questions on the questions on the journey to the cross about Jesus' journey with the disciples from the area known as Capernaum, or as you speak in English, Capernaum, all the way up to Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you were to look on a map, what you would see is this about, in today's terms, in paved surfaces, this is about a 12-hour walk directly north. This is at the base of what's known as Mount Hermon, and these are the waters from which the tribe of Dan comes. In other words, Jordan is from the tribe of Dan. That's how you get the Jordan River. Everything comes from the north. If you were to go today to Caesarea Philippi, this is what you would see. This is where you stand at the base, and if you turn around, you see the waters flowing back towards the Jordan River, one of the three headwaters. And as you get up closer, what you see is these reliefs. And this is a picture of, we're going to hold on that one for a minute so I can explain. This is a picture of what it would have looked like in the time of, around Jesus. There on the far left of the screen, you will see what is known as the Temple of Pan. Now, if you look carefully at the very back of that rendering, you'll see the arch to the cave. It is actually known as the gate of hell. This is known as the gate of hell. So here's what's really fascinating. If you go up there today, this is what you see today. It's a, there's been an earthquake, so there's been some rubble. I will tell you that when we went in 2020, I had Clint Wiley and Josh Dill with me who were two people who were like billy goats without boundaries. I looked up when I got up there, and here are Josh Dill and Clint Wiley. There's one little piece of wire that's sort of guiding people, but there's no sign that says don't go over the wire. They hopped the wire. They trotted all the way back and looked down in. Said, now, when I went back last year, now there's a fence, and it says do not go past. I took a picture and said, see what you guys did? You almost caused an international incident. But it was known as the gate of hell. So here's what's fascinating as we think about this. When you look at all of Jesus' ministry, oftentimes around the Sea of Galilee or in Jerusalem, you see that things happen from going from one place to another. Why on earth would Jesus go a two days walk directly north from the Sea of Galilee and nothing else is recorded except the conversation that you're about to hear. And then the confession when they arrive at Caesarea Philippi, 
Remember the backdrop would be this context of the gate of hell. Immediately following this within Matthew's gospel is the transfiguration, which I contend happened at Mount Hermon because it was a journey all the way back to Mount Tabor that's commemorated today, but there was a Hasmonean fortitude at Jesus' time on Mount Tabor, and there was no place it would be an isolated or quiet place. I think it was Mount Hermon because it would have been north. It would make sense. He went north to Caesarea Philippi for this confession that you're going to hear from Peter, and then he goes on for the transfiguration. The question is, what does this mean for you and me today? Well, friends, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel, and let's find that out together. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they've done. And truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the Word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. May your spirit, O God, come and stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we've gathered, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Peter is the disciple who is most like you and me at times. Those impetuous moments when we think we have the right answer and we answer correctly and immediately. And yet Peter is like you and me when 
the answer or the response from Christ seems to be contrary to what we want or our idea of what life should be. This journey takes the disciples all the way up to Caesarea Philippi, standing with the backdrop of the gates of hell, and Jesus utters these words, on your confession, the church will be built. But here's what's fascinating. The word in the Greek, the word in the Greek is actually not church that is translated. The word is ekklesia, and what it means in the Greek is God's gathered people together. The word church actually comes from the Greek translation, which is kirche. And so what's amazing to think about is that what Jesus is saying in the context is he is going all the way to Caesarea Philippi, standing in the shadow and the echo of the gate of hell, is that Peter, guys, what we're about to start together, not even the gate of hell itself will be able to keep it from coming to fruition. Now, isn't that a great thing to hear? That's a joyful thing to hear. It's a powerful message to hear. And Peter's on board until that moment of teaching when Jesus said, oh, and by the way, let me tell you a few other things about what this journey means. It entails going to Jerusalem for suffering, for death and rejection. I think in the back of all the disciples' minds would have been the same thing in the back of the minds of that Palm Sunday day of all the Roman rule of what happened in 163 when Judas Maccabees reclaimed Jerusalem. Those stories in humanity stay alive. After all, being from Texas, if I just, I'm going to use the opening phrase, and I bet you can answer or complete the phrase, and it will illustrate my point exactly. In Texas, oftentimes when you're around San Antonio, you'll hear the phrase, remember the... There you go. Right? And so we have in our memory these huge moments. I think that the disciples would have known that somewhere in the back of their minds, the idea of a Messiah eliminating every challenge, restoring rule, would have been a hope that they had. Friends, you and I have that same kind. I do too. There's times I wake up and say, Jesus, can you make it just a little easier? In the midst of all we've gone through the last several years, God, can you help us? with? Catch, can we catch a break? Can we make it easier? And I have to remind myself there's nothing in Scripture where Jesus said, follow me and I will make it easier. Follow me and I'll make it less complicated. It's not even in the message translation. But what is consistent is that when you are a person of faith, God will grant you strength and hope and a transcendent truth that will be greater than any particular circumstance. That's why we call this day both Palm and Passion Sunday. I've walked the Palm Sunday road and you got to be careful when you walk the Palm Sunday road because as you move from the Mount of Olives Literally millions of people and traffic have traveled down and those cobblestone, big stones are worn smooth. And if there is even the slightest bit of humidity, you will slide down Palm Sunday Road. You will not walk down it. In fact, the, the grade at times is so strong that people will actually have to walk against the wall where there's a handrail. 
You see, walking the Palm Sunday road sounds glorious, and yet it is filled with challenges. Peter gets it so right. You're the Christ, the Messiah. And then Peter gets it so wrong. When he tries, as the translation says, to rebuke Jesus. The word rebuke, the word rebuke is actually a word in the Greek that means censor. Well, let's don't be too hard on Peter. He was trying to censor Jesus, but I think you and I have a tendency to want to censor Jesus a bit, to reshape some of his words of challenge and self-sacrifice into more of moments of comfort. Every one of us in our humanity wants to lean into the face so we can get the things that are the good, the blessed, the hopeful, the redeeming. And yet we forget too often as we move the Palm Sunday and Passion Road, there are also moments that we are called in self-sacrifice to moments of service, moments of discomfort. And this is what Jesus concludes with, right? He says at the end, if you want to try and save your life, you'll lose it. If you're going to lose your life for my sake, you will find it. It's the paradox of the faith that launches us into this amazing week of worship. That how can we talk about being people of life when we follow one who gave his life on the cross? And remember in all that we read and hear this week, John records for us that Jesus was not a political victim. He says clearly in John, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus was not a, Jesus was not a victim. He was the victor. But sometimes the only place that we can see the empty tomb is from the hill of the crucifixion. We hold these two truths together. Death, life. Because we believe in the one who is the Lord of life. But how do you overcome those moments? I'm reminded that there was a couple who went through the David Ramsey workshop and they both agreed as they looked at their finances and got a handle on what they were going to be doing that no major purchases would be made on the credit card unless they got uh, the way in of the other, the husband, the wife, the wife, the husband. So the husband says, well, I won't make any major golf club purchases unless I get your approval kind of thing. We won't make any appliance. Let's, let's just agree to that. And so they open up the credit card bill and there's a charge for nearly $500. And the wife kind of says, well, yeah, I, I, I bought a really nice dress for that event we had to go to. He said, well, I thought we talked about, but we would, we would actually, when we were tempted like that, we'd actually talk to each other, or at the very least, we would say, get thee behind me, Satan, so I wouldn't have a problem or a challenge. And she said, I did. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. And all I heard from behind me was, wow, it looks really good from back here, too. Be careful what you ask Satan because the evil one will never give you an answer that will lead you deeper in your faith. Now let's go back to the garden where we started this series. The first question of the evil one is what? Did God really say that? The, first, the second question is from God. Where are you? I said then, I stand on it now, moving into Jerusalem. Those two questions are the most important questions and every theological conversation will take us back. 
even to Caesarea Philippi. You're the Christ. You're right, Peter. Jesus says, I've got to experience some suffering, death. But on the third day, I'll rise again. And Peter said, no way. That can't happen. Here's the great good news, friends. As we enter into Palm and Passion Sunday, this event that occurred long before Jesus got to Jerusalem, it's the same Peter who denies Christ. It's the same Peter who starts to sink when he looks at the storms rather than the Savior. It's the same Peter that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on you. God's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability to be a part of his kingdom. And if you're waiting to take that courageous, venturous step in the faith until you get it figured out, you'll never move from where you are. A lot of times, I'll be very honest with you, I understand exactly what John Wesley said when he coined this phrase years ago in England. I preach until I have the faith, and then I preach because I have the faith. Friends, there are moments even as a pastor, when I see the challenges before us and the brokenness of this world, and my prayer is, God, I hope this is all really true because it seems like we're not winning the struggle. But then I just let my faith lean into what I know to be true. And God is always faithful. Or in this week, when we see such evil present. And, and we pray, God, help us see a breakthrough of the goodness of your creation. We see youth who arrive on Friday who are given a simple question. How would you like to spread the faith and love of God in your community? Some groups drew from people who needed yard work who physically couldn't and were the hands of Christ. Others went to town center, the artistic ones, and filled the walkway with messages of God's love. Others, as I mentioned earlier, went to get supplies at Walmart and ended up praying for people. I wonder if you and I have that same type of courage on this Palm and Passion Sunday to simply say, Lord, help me see where you're leading Help me answer the question, who do you say that I am? As we come to this table of communion, every one of us has had a moment like St. Peter, where we have been clearly in line with God's will in moments where we've stepped out. And neither our good moments can increase God's love for us, nor can our bad moments decrease God's love. God's love is what it is. Or as a friend of mine said years ago, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what this meal is about. That's what this table is about. That's what Jesus Christ is all about. Let's pray together.
God, as we move into the liturgy of the great thanksgiving, a time of confession, would you awaken in us the call of Christ? Help us to recognize the moments where we have been feeble in our faithfulness, where we have been distracted by the things of the world, or where the evil of this world seems to fuel our doubts rather than fuel our faith. Help us to receive what you offer, that through your love, we would offer ourselves in service to the world, and Christ would be seen in us. This we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people did say, Amen.